I think that the future of our health is on our hands. It's in our communities. It's in how we live our lives. All of us can take charge of our own health. Um, right now, the future of our health is certainly not in the healthcare setting. That's going to take a while to catch up. Um, but what all of you who are listening are doing to take control of your own health is incredibly important. So keep it up. Keep supporting each other. You're listening to episode 100 of Pursuing Health with me, your host, Julie Fouché, for a Q&A. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. You guys, welcome back to Pursuing Health. I cannot believe we are finally at 100 episodes of the podcast. It has been a very slow but steady process over the past three plus years, but as we all know, consistency sure pays off. And I wanted to just take a moment this week to first thank all of you from the very bottom of my heart for listening and continuing to support me through this shift in my career from CrossFit Games athlete to medical student and now soon to be family medicine physician. This podcast has been such a rewarding outlet for me to continue to highlight some amazing individuals in this world and share their stories and discoveries with all of you in the hopes that their insights might positively impact your lives the way they have mine. I wanted to do something special to celebrate this milestone, and although we have some incredible guests on the show over the past three plus years, it just felt like this was the best time to have a little more intimate conversation between me and you with a Q&A style episode. And I have to say, I was incredibly overwhelmed by your response to my call for questions for this episode. We put out a survey on email and social media, and the number of questions that I got back was incredible. We won't be able to cover all of them here, but we are going to touch on many of the big topics and themes that you are all asking about, which include things like CrossFit health, functional medicine, nutrition, general health, and my current approach to training and life, as well as some plans for the future. Please know that we'll continue to work to address all the other questions that you guys submitted in upcoming podcast episodes and blog posts, so definitely stay tuned for those. I also wanted to give a huge shout out to CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard and co-founder Mo Nakvi for pushing me to start this podcast in the first place. Without Mo and CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, this podcast would not be possible, and it's so great to see big things that they're working on with CrossFit to use fitness and health data to push us all forward, finally coming to fruition. One ask that I have of you is that if you've been listening to this podcast and you really do find the information here valuable, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. This really does make a difference, and it helps to get the content out to more people. Finally, as usual, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. Many of you wrote in asking more specific medical questions, which I'll not be able to answer here on this podcast, but I try my best to provide some general information and I hope you continue to have these conversations and ask your questions with your own personal physicians. So here it is, Q&A episode number 100. Can you believe it? Here we go. All 
All right. So the first set of questions all have to do with CrossFit Health, which has certainly taken on the front seat when it comes to the CrossFit organization as a whole over the past year or so. And many people wanted to know first what my involvement is with CrossFit Health. So CrossFit Health started in January of this year, 2018, mainly with a blog that Greg Glassman um, wanted to use in order to expose some of the ills of a modern medicine and have some dialogue about some of these problems with our healthcare system. So he would post various articles or questions or things to try to get people engaged in the conversation. In addition to that, Um, which also you can visit at CrossFitHealth.com if you haven't seen it yet. Um, Some very interesting articles and books and things that you can um, reference there. Also, it started as CrossFit Level 1 seminars specifically delivered to physicians, either MDs or DOs. And Greg Glassman decided to offer these seminars for free for physicians. Um, This year, I believe there were somewhere around six seminars in total that were offered. And so far, they've all been held in Northern California near CrossFit HQ. Um, Essentially, it's the exact same level one that everyone else goes to every single weekend around the world. Only difference is all the participants are physicians. What that does is it helps to create some connections. It helps to create some camaraderie. Um, really, I, you know, I'm just speaking from my own experience here. I'm certainly not speaking for CrossFit Health as a whole, but it seems like, I'll, you know, they've tried to really bring together physicians who are feeling isolated in their own respective specialties or fields or locations in the world and trying to bring people together so that they can network and talk about what each other are doing to try to bring a lifestyle first approach when they're working with patients in a healthcare system where it's very challenging to do so. And so I think a lot of really interesting conversations have come out of these seminars. I think that we're seeing more and more physicians try to find ways to work with their local CrossFit affiliates or incorporate um, lifestyle interventions with their patients on a more routine basis. So, and, and I really think that's the major purpose of these level ones. Now, it is also kind of a nice perk. Greg has stopped by all of the seminars and, and spoken and gave it and given some of his perspective on why he really wants this information to be out there for physicians um, and has also invited the seminar participants over to his house on Sunday evening for tacos, which has been amazing every single time. But it really is trying to recreate, I think, that those early days of CrossFit and the early days of the CrossFit seminar where we're just trying to break down barriers and get these people together to network and to understand that we're all kind of going through the same things and try to come up with a better solution. So for those of you who have been wondering, I receive tons and tons of questions, as does CrossFit Health, I'm sure, about how other health professionals can get involved with CrossFit Health or who can come to this CrossFit MDL1. So all I have to say right now, because I don't really know the future of this, all I know is that right now those seminars are specifically for MDs and DOs. I think that Greg wants to start with that sort of narrow focus and he's estimating there's over 20,000 crossfitting physicians in the country and wants to get through to all of them first. If you guys have taken the level one in the past, you can probably remember how eye-opening it is just to understand the true methodology, methodology and the philosophy behind CrossFit and being able to have that philosophy and that understanding 
as a physician, I think is so important and I think so often overlooked, even if you're just going to your gym and you're, you know, maybe you've been doing CrossFit for five years, but if you've never sat through the level one where they really put all of that together and help you to understand what the true purpose of CrossFit is, I think it's hard to to really get it and get that same message. And so I think that's why it's so important that, you know, he wants these physicians who are seeing the sickest patients around the world who are most in need of lifestyle changes to be exposed to that methodology and to understand what the possibilities are if we can help our patients to make these lifestyle changes. And I've seen it myself. You know, I was lucky to take the level one when I was just, I believe it was after my junior year of college. So it was right around the time I was applying to medical school and it completely changed my perspective. I never would have thought in a million years that I would be ending up in family medicine or primary care. But that, you know, once I understood that philosophy and understood how powerful these lifestyle changes are in terms of not only creating health right now, but creating longevity throughout the years of our lives, I just couldn't look back. Once you once you see that, you can't unsee it and it becomes hard not to want to implement it um, in your career and in everything that you're doing. So again, I'm getting sidetracked, but right now he's focusing uh, specifically on physicians, MDs and DOs. Um, that's not to say that anyone can't go. You know, the perk of that is sure it's being offered for free, which is really amazing and generous. But that's not to say that you can't get the same exact information from going to a level one, any other location, any other weekend of the year. Um, And if you've already been to the level one, then you're, you know, you've already done it. You've already gotten that information. And I would continue to encourage you to just use that information in your everyday practice. So I think that CrossFit Health is not so much organized at this point. It's more of a movement. It's more of the idea of connecting health professionals who are trying to use CrossFit or use lifestyle changes to help make their patients healthier by addressing the root cause of their disease, which often comes down to the basics of not moving, you know, not eating well, eating too much processed food and simple carbohydrates not getting enough sleep, not having, you know, relationships in your lives, meaning and purpose, those really basic things that CrossFit really does provide for so many people. So all of that to say, (laughs) if you are in a health profession, but you are not an MD or DO, please do not be discouraged. Please stick with us. Please um, try to, you know, help this movement along there certainly is going to be another CrossFit Health Conference I am anticipating next year before the CrossFit Games. So everyone is welcome there. Continue these conversations with the with the health professionals in your affiliate, in your town. Go and, you know, go and talk to people at your hospital. Talk to um, people at your affiliate about how you can get more patients into the affiliate, how you can work with these populations of people who are most in need. So it's all really one big effort. And I hope that other health professionals are not feeling excluded, although I know it's probably hard not to feel that way. Um, But please stick with us. I know that, you know, Greg really does want this to be a a larger movement, um, but, you know, has to start small and then build on it. Um, so that was a lot, a lot of words to talk about what the CrossFit Health and what the CrossFit MDL one is. Um, I also received a lot of questions about CrossFit HQ switch to more of a health focus than a games focus. 
as well as the change in the game's format this year, which has been huge news, a huge changes to the CrossFit game season and format. And in general, I think people are just wondering what my thoughts are on it. I mean, I think it's, it's incredibly huge. I think that it's needed. I think that so many, and you know, probably so many of you will agree that the CrossFit games had become the face of CrossFit. So, so many people saw the CrossFit games as their first exposure to CrossFit. And in doing that, we created a lot of barriers and walls for the people who really need CrossFit to start in CrossFit, um, thinking that it was all about the competition, all about these high-level athletes, when in reality, CrossFit is about the average person. It's about the grandma. It's about helping someone get better after surgery. It's about helping someone lose weight and get off of their chronic disease medications. That's what CrossFit's about. That's what makes it so special. It's about the connections that you build with average everyday people who come to your class every single day. Um, That's what CrossFit is about. And while that message has never gotten lost and it's always been there, it, I do think, has been somewhat overshadowed by the CrossFit Games, which is amazing. And I mean, obviously, I think it's amazing. I've been there and and I still am in such awe of what these athletes are doing now. You're, you know, every single year, the skills that they have, the strength that they have, it's just unbelievable. And I certainly don't want that to be lost. I think that, you know, with this new games format, they're only going to continue to highlight the best athletes in the world and put out an incredible test for the best athletes in the world. But I think by CrossFit giving up some of that, um, some of that, their resources that, that they were using in order to produce the regionals and the open and the games and all the media and everything in between, um, they're now going to be able to funnel those resources into more of a CrossFit health picture or helping the average everyday person, which is the majority of people who are doing CrossFit around the world. So I think that, you know, obviously Greg knows exactly what he's doing. He is, has not steered us wrong yet. And this is just another evolution of CrossFit and the CrossFit games. And I'm super excited to see where it takes us. Now, we also had a lot of questions where people are asking, how do we get low income patients involved in CrossFit? We're talking about the people who really need CrossFit the most, who need to make these lifestyle changes, um, but they just don't have the resources to be able to pay an affiliate membership. And this is a huge, huge question and hurdle that I think about all the time because it's so true. I see patients in clinic who I think, gosh, if they could just get into a CrossFit affiliate, if they just had that community, if they had, you know, knew that someone believed in them and could coach them from the beginning, how much their life would transform. But oftentimes cost really is an issue and access really is an issue. So I don't think there's a solution yet, but this is another topic where I think we need to start as a CrossFit community, need to start putting our heads together and finding creative solutions. So I know there's been some talk about gyms subsidizing some memberships um, in some way, whether that's, you know, giving away subsidized memberships, so many of them a month or finding ways to support um, other members of the community that maybe can't afford the full membership. Um, I know that CrossFit is working on some new ideas and new um, programs so that 
CrossFit principles and functional movements will be available to a wider range of people to be able to work on in their own homes um, without, you know, really any cost or any equipment needs. And I think that's really key. I think that the key, you know, now there's so many of these home exercise programs and you can buy, you know, you can subscribe to apps or this or that, but really the power of CrossFit is in the community. So the key is really how do we teach people how to move well, but how do we also help them to feel supported and feel like they're part of a community? Um, whether it's, you know, creating their own community with people that they live with or friends or coworkers, um, or maybe an online community. So that's something else definitely coming along the pipeline. Um, the other, the other um, avenue that I really think of when it comes to getting lower income patients involved in CrossFit is looking at organizations. So there's many organizations that are working with larger groups of people. So whether it be schools working with kids and teaching them functional movements and the principles of CrossFit from a young age, um, organizations like Steve's Club, which I know has done some really amazing things for low income youth or at, and at risk youth. Um, other organizations like that, where we just want to try to see how can we get these concepts of functional movements, intensity, eating well, you know, real foods, vegetables, those kind of basic things, um, and community out to the people who need it most. Maybe it doesn't look like paying a CrossFit membership every month, um, but maybe there's other ways that we can implement that in our community. Maybe it's, you know, an affiliate who has a, a coach who goes out and teaches a free class, you know, a couple times a week in their community. Those are all just different ideas that I'm throwing around the top of my head, but certainly it's up to the community to come up with these solutions. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about CrossFit. Um, similar question um, when it comes to getting people involved with CrossFit are patients who have more serious medical conditions. So patients who have significant chronic disease, they haven't worked out in a long time. Um, this is where I think that it really becomes important for the patient to be working closely with their physician. Um, and where I do think it, it could become useful for a CrossFit affiliate to have relationships with the physicians in their area. Maybe they have, um, you know, maybe the physicians have patients who are going to start doing CrossFit and they can kind of keep an eye on them from a medical perspective um, and feel safe that the affiliate owner or the affiliate the coach at the affiliate is going to take care of their patients. So I really think establishing relationships as a physician, I think that's something that I would be looking for is to establish relationships with affiliates that I would feel comfortable sending my patients to that I know they'll be in good hands. Um, another option, if you haven't yet listened to episode number 99 with Dr. Axel Pfluger, that was a really great example of how he's having patients actually work out in his office. I don't, I don't know if it's feasible in every medical practice, but he's actually teaching patients movements and having them do short workouts in his office while they're there for their office visit, giving them some homework to do, and then seeing them back the next week. And through that process, he's able to help them start to make these more sustainable lifestyle changes. So the ideas are many. Um, these are just a few, but they're certainly, you know, we're in a time where right now it's all about finding solutions to these questions. And I think that over the next few months and years, we're going to see a lot of these solutions implemented and really figure out what works the same way that We've seen CrossFit evolve over the last 10 years. I think it's going to look very different 10 years from now.
Um, another question about whether I see affiliates being involved in the healthcare system in the future. All right, guys. So those were a lot of the questions on CrossFit Health. Next, I want to move into a series of questions about functional medicine, which is something that I've definitely talked about over the past few years. We've had some guests on the podcast who've talked about it. So for those of you who are not familiar with functional medicine, essentially, it's a philosophy of trying to address the root cause of disease. Pretty simple. It's really just good medicine, plain and simple. The idea is to address the root cause of the disease rather than just treating symptoms um, or putting band-aids on problems. And generally, how we're going to address the root cause of the disease is those lifestyle factors first and foremost. So the things that I just mentioned before, things like movement, exercise, quality nutrition, getting enough sleep, having good relationships, having meaning and purpose, um, being able to downregulate your nervous system, relax, all of those good things. In general, if you give the body those things that it needs, it will be able to heal itself in many, many cases. For the rest, functional medicine looks at what other possible underlying factors could be causing symptoms or disease in a patient and how do we address those. So whether it's toxins in the environment, um, whether it may be various um, imbalances in the body when it comes to maybe the microbiome. So I'll talk just briefly about how I originally became exposed to functional medicine. I had heard of it here and there in passing, and then I believe it was somewhere around 2014. Yeah, I believe it was 2014. I was in medical school. There just so happened to be a lecture that was being given by Dr. Mark Hyman, who I had heard his name here and there. And I, for some reason, I happened to see the email and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to this lecture. Even though it was super early in the morning, I felt like there was something really pulling me there. So I went and little did I know it was not just a lecture by Dr. Mark Hyman. It was the announcement of the Center for Functional Medicine coming to the Cleveland Clinic. And it was there to introduce what functional medicine was and what the center was going to be to all of the staff, the department heads, even the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic was present at this talk. And it was there that I really first heard the entire concept of functional medicine laid out for me. And I have to say it was a huge aha moment. It was just like when I had gone to my level one seminar and I heard that you know, definition of CrossFit, definition of health, the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum laid out for me on the whiteboard. It felt very similar to that where finally it was like, gosh, someone is speaking my language. So all the things that I knew to be true about health, whether it came from diet or exercise or lifestyle, you know, I had I had known so many things to be true, but no one was able to put it together in such a clear and concise package the way that Dr. Hyman did that day and helped me to understand that there is a framework for practicing medicine like this and it does make sense and we don't have to continue to pile on medication after medication to treat symptoms if you have a patient who wants to get to the root cause, you can go deep and make these lifestyle changes and really improve quality of life 
um, and probably longevity of life as well. So that was how I found out about functional medicine um, and a little bit about it. Since that time, I've started doing more training in functional medicine. So um, the Institute for Functional Medicine has a series of training courses. I took the initial five-day course a couple of years ago, and then I've started working through the advanced practice modules this year, which are just three-day long courses for many of the different um, body systems. And the goal is to become a certified practitioner through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, I'm also very blessed to have be able to have some experience here with the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine um, right in my town and be able to spend some time rotating there and learning from the physicians about what they're doing there. So right now I'm definitely still in the beginning stages when it comes to clinical practice. I'm still learning all the philosophy behind it and learning really how to make this useful with patients. I think that the the great thing is that so much of it is very easy to implement, even in a regular primary care clinic. So even in my residency clinics that I'm seeing patients for primary care, there's still things, you know, at the end of the day, whenever you see a patient come in with symptoms, you have to ask yourself, what is the root cause of these symptoms? Why is the patient having GI upset or having headaches or feeling depressed, whatever it may be, um, because at the end of the day, if you can answer that question or help the patient get to that answer, we're going to be able to create a much more longer lasting solution than if we just pile medications and treatments on without knowing exactly what the root cause is. So I have a lot of questions from interested, um, whether it's students or current practitioners, asking about how to pursue training in functional medicine Um, As I just mentioned, the Institute for Functional Medicine is an excellent resource. Their website is ifm.org. In addition to those courses, which um, are a lot more intensive, they do have several free online courses if you want to just learn some of the basics about functional medicine or functional nutrition. Um, Also, in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, they do offer Grand Rounds talks every single month, which have been fantastic. If you want to talk about bringing some of the top scientists and researchers and hearing them talk about their work under the light of functional medicine, it is really the best place to go. You realize that a lot of these these top scientists in their respective fields are kind of coming to these same conclusions that are consistent with the functional medicine framework. And it's really, really cool to see those findings and being able to put them right into practice when you're working with patients. Um, Other resources that I recommend, James Maskell has an excellent um, quick read book and podcast called The Evolution of Medicine. I think that's a great place to start. I think it's a great place to try to understand kind of our current state of healthcare and what the future might look like if you practice from a functional medicine or root cause perspective. Um, As far as nutrition goes, the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy is a fantastic resource. Another great book that I think it kind of parallels the Evolution of Medicine book, but it's written more from a uh, practitioner's perspective is Unconventional Medicine by Chris Kresser, um, who also has some courses for practitioners. And then I know there's also a master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States. You may have heard um, E.C. Sinkowski on a recent podcast episode talking about her training, and that's a training program that she went through. Um, She now practices a lot of functional nutrition. 
Um, and one of my very, very early podcast guests, Umaro Kadagan, who um, had some fantastic insights when it comes to nutrition and functional medicine also went through that program, I believe, but he was certainly a, um, one of the instructors in that program. Um, all right. Next question about functional medicine is how to incorporate functional medicine into a standard practice. So this is a fantastic question. I kind of touched on it just a moment ago, but really that's the beautiful thing about it is that it's kind of like if, if you think about the CrossFit pyramid where you have nutrition on the bottom and then you have cardiorespiratory endurance on the next layer up and then you have gymnastics and weightlifting and sport at the very top, you can think of the same way when you're treating someone from a functional medicine perspective is how do you, how do you first address that base layer? And that's those lifestyle therapies. Um, so making sure that your patient's have the resources and the knowledge and the support to be able to implement changes when it comes to sleep, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to stress management, um, maintaining good relationships, all of those good things. Then after that, I think that it comes to trying to address symptoms with the least invasive methods first while you're working on either identifying the root cause or treating the root cause. So if you have the opportunity to, you know, treat a common medical condition with a supplement or an herb instead of a pharmaceutical that has a lot more side effects, then I think that's appropriate. Obviously making sure that that supplement or herb has evidence behind it and then it's not going to be interacting with any of the other medications that your patients are on. Um, the other thing that I think is really fantastic about functional medicine is the whole framework is based on taking a very thorough history up front from the patient and not just about current symptoms and then brushing through past medical and past surgical history, but really getting a timeline of the patient's life all the way from before they were born up until now. And I find that that process is very therapeutic for patients. So even just sitting down and talking through your timeline of you know, what you went through as a child, what maybe illnesses you had, really just talking through it helps you to see some of the the patterns that may have happened in your own life that may be leading to symptoms later on. Um, and then just having someone sit there and listen to your story, I think is very therapeutic as well. So I think that's a fantastic tool if you have the time to be able to go through a history with a patient all the way from before birth looking back at family history or early exposures all the way up through now, and then trying to make some of those connections about the root root causes. One of the biggest ways that we see that play out is with ACEs or adverse childhood events. Um, So you may have heard of of some of these, whether it's some sort of childhood trauma or whether it's um, some other exposure in childhood that later often predisposes individuals to have health conditions later on, whether it's chronic diseases, whether it's anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, various manifestations of symptoms that come out later on from these traumatic experiences in childhood. And oftentimes just making those connections when people realize, wow, I have so much anxiety because of these things that happened in my past can also be part of the therapeutic process. Um, from there, I would also just say that I think that the future of medicine and functional medicine and primary care lies largely in group visits and 
By that, I mean just in our current healthcare system, it's so hard to address all these concerns and address all these lifestyle changes in quick 15-minute office visits every few months. But if you have patients who are really invested and who want to go through this process with you and you can do it together as a group where you can really help people learn how to eat, learn how to exercise, um, learn how to manage their stress in a group. And maybe that takes you a couple months or even a year to bring people up to speed through that process and help them implement some changes in their lives. That payoff is going to be huge on the back end. So I think there's huge opportunities. And now we're already seeing shared medical appointments Um, becoming really standard of care. And I think that we're going to continue to see group visits where not only are you able to spend more time learning these lifestyle change and lifestyle therapies, but you're also going to be able to establish some camaraderie, some community among patients, which is what we know to be so therapeutic when it comes to the CrossFit community. All right. So this next question, I'm actually going to read to you word from word because it's a specific question, but I think it also really sums up the value of functional medicine or a functional medicine approach. So this question says, how do we navigate the world of healthcare as conscientious well care seekers? That is, there's a lot of traditional medicine being practiced where a PCP listens to us for 10 to 15 minutes and prescribes medication. This is contrary to pursuing health, as we could be overlooking an environmental cause of our ailments. My son, in fact, was having some congestion and ear pressure problems. His PCP and his ear, nose, and throat doctor both decided he had an allergy and needed Flonase. We discovered through trial and error that he was reacting to dairy. We removed it and the issue went away. There are some resources such as Primal Docs Networks, but we don't have any providers closer to us. So how do we take control of our health? So I just love how beautifully this sums up exactly the problem. We have a standard of care medical treatment, which is medications, anti-allergy medications for allergies, when many times the allergies themselves can be avoided or eliminated. And so going through that process, whether it's an allergy or an intolerance, Going through that process can be super valuable, but it's not necessarily something that a traditional medical system is going to stick with you on and through the trial and error that may be necessary. So first, I think this just highlights the importance of individuals really taking control of their own health. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, There are are certainly a growing number of people who are just fed up with the medical system and who are taking their health into their own hands, which I think is really fantastic because at the end of the day, you are your own expert on your health, okay? You know your body the best. And so I think it's important to to take that on, but also to find a practitioner that you can work with that you really trust and you feel like really understands your perspective. So whether that's a good primary care doctor, um, whether you are searching for a functional medicine doctor. And the place that I would send you to look for a functional medicine doctor at this time would be that Institute for Functional Medicine. It's ifm.org. They do have a practitioner finder so you can find people in your area. Once again, find just like finding a primary care doctor, just like finding a CrossFit affiliate, it may take time. It may take one or two tries for you to find the right fit for you. So don't get discouraged if, you know, the first person that you meet isn't that right fit. Um, I would also just say that it is important if you are taking control of your health and you are trying some of these things on your own to still communicate those with your doctor and not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So oftentimes I see people 
become fed up with conventional medicine and just say, you know what, I'm taking control of my own health. It's okay. I don't need a doctor. But please don't forget about your routine screening test, whether it's pap smears or whether it's, you know, getting, if you have, you know, a new symptom come up, making sure that your doctor knows about it, because I have also seen things go in the reverse direction where, you know, people aren't, don't have a relationship with their doctor and then something does come up and they wait too long to get it checked out and then it becomes a problem. So for right now, I know it's not the perfect answer, but certainly um, I would say, Keep taking control of your own health. Don't give up on that. Try to find a practitioner that you can partner with, whether it's a functional medicine practitioner through IFM um, or whether it's a good primary care doctor in your area. Also, as you probably know by now, my husband, Danny, is working for a company called SteadyMD, which pairs doctors, primary care doctors with with you based on your lifestyle interests and tries to find someone who would be a good match for you and they're accessible all over the country. Um, so that's always another option as well um, that isn't so limited geographically. All right, next question is about cost. So how do we make functional medicine more accessible? How does functional medicine permeate the market? Health insurance is so expensive. How does the average person or family afford something like this? I feel ya. Again, we're in this stage of transition and it's the same kind of question about how do we get the people who most need CrossFit into CrossFit affiliates if they can't afford a monthly membership? This is the same issue where we're seeing our healthcare system shifting and changing. And right now it's incredibly unaffordable no matter what type of care you're getting. Um, there are certainly new solutions that are being created all the time. I would encourage you to kind of do your research and to look into some of them. Some interesting new models for primary care are called direct primary care, which you may have heard of before. It's kind of similar to a concierge medical practice, but it's in a much more affordable price range. Um, the idea is that it's just a membership-based model, but the physician has a lot fewer patients. So they can spend a lot more time with their patients and do a lot more um, group education and um, work on those lifestyle behaviors with their patients. Also take a look at you know your insurance plan. If you have a health uh, savings account or health spending account, what you're able to use that on. Um, also recently, not too long ago, we did a podcast episode with James Maskell about his new cost sharing plan called New Health. Um, so that may be something that you might be interested in as well if you're looking for creative solutions um, for more affordable healthcare. So certainly it's going to take some time. We're going to see the healthcare land sh landscape shifting, hopefully more toward a proactive health creation type landscape, um, rather than the current reactive sick, sick care type landscape. But certainly we know how slowly this is going to move. So we need to have some patience with it and try to be creative for the time being. All right, our next topic is nutrition, which is one of my absolute favorite things to talk about. Um, and I will also refer you to some of our recent nutrition podcasts. We have had some excellent guests on the show talking about nutrition over the past 100 episodes. So definitely check out those. I'm going to link them up in our show notes on the website. Um, but for now, we're going to answer a couple of your more recent questions one is about, in general, what is the healthiest way to eat? Recognizing that there are so many conflicting and confusing dietary <laughs> advices out there, um, whether it's keto or paleo or intermittent fasting or macros or 
who knows what, um, how do we just create a sustainable way to eat that is going to support our health? So whenever I'm asked this question, I always go back to the very basics, which is the CrossFit prescription. Eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar. Keep intake to levels that will support exercise, but not body fat. And those few words from CrossFit founder Greg Glassman really say it all. So don't overcomplicate it. Um, I think that that is essentially what we need to know. If we do that and we follow that advice, we're probably going to be doing pretty darn well. But I want to break it down for you into a few big themes. This is kind of the way that I like to think about a nutritional approach. So first theme is quality. I really like to start with quality because I think that you know, you can start with quantity, but I think that the, depending on the type of foods that you eat, the hormonal signals that you're going to be sending yourself are going to be so different. So I think choosing real foods and starting by just improving the quality of the diet can already have enormous impacts. So this means eating whole foods, no processed foods. This means eating mostly plants. I love Michael Pollan's quote. He says, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. It's very simple. But once again, that's pretty much all you need to know. Plants, I think, are one of the most important things that we have as far as or ways that we have to get nutrients. Um, and also with their prebiotic fiber, they are going to help us nurture a very healthy microbiome, which we know is very important for our health. And we are only just beginning to understand and scratch the surface of the microbiome and understand what's going on there, but we know it's incredibly important when it comes to health and chronic disease. Um, and when it comes to food quality, this is also going to involve some self-experimentation. So in terms of eliminating certain food groups, as we you know talked about just earlier with figuring out maybe you have an allergy or intolerance to dairy, um, this is going to be your chance to experiment with certain food groups, eliminate them, see how you feel, add them back in, see how you feel and find out exactly what is the right quality and type of food for you to be eating to best support your health and prevent you from having any symptoms. And when it comes to this topic and eliminating certain food groups or doing an elimination diet, I also have received some questions about food sensitivity tests, which we're seeing are becoming a lot more popular these days. And the question is, are they worthwhile? What's the utility of these food sensitivity tests? So I think that if you look at the data behind food sensitivity tests, they aren't incredibly accurate um, as far as what's out there. There is certainly some data here and there. Most of the tests are based on IgG, um, which doesn't have fantastic data behind it. There is There was one recent article last year in 2017, which was in the BMJ gastroenterology, where they looked at a leukocyte activation test. Um, and there they looked specifically at patients who had IBS symptoms. They had those patients eliminate the foods that were identified by the leukocyte activation test, and they reported improvement in their IBS symptoms based on eliminating those foods. So certainly there is some positive data for it, um, but I don't think that it's the end-all be-all. I don't think it's a gold standard. I think that the gold standard is always going to be an elimination diet, being very strict about eliminating the food groups, and then very strategically adding them back in one food at a time, allowing yourself time to observe whether your body is having symptoms so that you know once and for all what type of reaction your body has to those certain food groups. 
Um, so if you have never done an elimination diet, I highly recommend it. I think everyone owes it to themselves to do it once and do it the right way so that you at least have that information. Information is power, especially when it comes to your health. Um, in this category of quality of food, where I lump in kind of elimination diets, eliminating certain food groups, I think this is also where we can get into the meat, no meat debate. And that is not a debate that I am going to get into on this episode of the podcast, but it's just a place where I would also like to say quality matters once again. So there's a huge difference between eating bologna and hot dogs and eating grass-fed and finished steak and organic free-range chicken and essentially meat that was raised in their natural habitat um, versus highly processed meat. So once again, whether you're eating meat or not, definitely quality matters and is super, super important. So that's all I'm going to say on that topic. Next next big group that I like to think of after we've addressed quality, and I know that I'm eating quality foods and I'm giving my body the nutrients, the micronutrients that it needs with all the vegetables and all the fruits. Next, I might think about quantity. And this is from Michael Pollan's quote, not too much, right? Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. So this is the not too much part. Um, essentially make it simple. So you can make it super detailed and measure every single macro and track it on your app, or you can just use your experience or your plate as a guide. So I love kind of the analogy of how do you fill your plate? You create a medium-sized plate. You know, now dinner plates are the size of, you know, two of my faces, but you can use a regular-sized dinner plate one quarter of the plate, small portion of protein, maybe the size of the palm of your hand, one quarter of the plate, maybe some type of starch, whether it's a potato or rice or whatever, that may be quality, once again, quality starch if you're going to have it or fruit or something like that. And then at least half of the plate should be vegetables. If you do that at every single meal, you're probably going to be doing pretty well when it comes to quantity. And then listening to your body. So listening to how full you are. Um, stop eating when you're full. Don't get seconds. If you know if you feel that you're not hungry anymore, um, making adjustments day to day saying, you know, I ate that huge plate of food yesterday for lunch and dinner and I felt like I was a little bit too full. Maybe we're going to have three quarters from here on out and see how that goes. It's just making those constant adjustments and knowing yourself and paying attention to those signals that your body is trying to tell you, which often we really shut down. And when we're on this point, I'm actually going to jump ahead to another really important part when it comes to nutrition, which is being mindful, which I think so many people overlook. And um, it's so, so incredibly important. We used to always sit down and eat with family or friends when we were eating a meal. Now we're constantly on the go, right? Like we're eating breakfast in the car. We're sitting in a meeting, eating lunch, we're on our computers, we're answering emails, we're on our phone. If we're ever by ourselves eating, most people you'll see will be on their phones. And all that's doing is distracting you from eating, from appreciating the food, from digesting the food, from really listening to your body's signals about when it's full. And so if we're not being mindful when we're eating, that's really going to kind of shut down those natural signals that we have that will tell us when we've eaten too much. Um, I think again, quantity really depends on your current situation and your current state of health. So if you've got multiple chronic diseases and you, or you are overweight or you're insulin resistant, then certainly your percentage of 
carbohydrates is probably going to need to be lower than for the general population until you get that under control. Maybe once you kind of lose weight or you become a little bit more insulin sensitive, then you can tolerate a little bit higher portion of carbohydrates. But this is, again, a very personal um, experimentation and something that you should work with your physician or your dietitian on. Um, same thing goes if you're a high level athlete, you're training multiple times per day, you might need a higher carb intake. Um, and that's again, going to be based on the individual, how much you're working out and experimentation and so on. So again, nutrition is individual, but we can follow these kind of large concepts, quality first, then quantity adjusting based on, you know, where you are on that spectrum of sickness, wellness, fitness, And third comes to timing. So this is my third big bucket that I think of when it comes to nutrition. This comes down to everything from when do I eat my first meal of the day? When do I eat my carbohydrates? Do I want to make sure that I'm eating some protein and maybe eating carbohydrates after I work out when my body and my muscles are most primed to receive those nutrients? We've seen the research on time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting showing the positive impact that it can have on chronic diseases, that it can have on the microbiome, um, on things like even autoimmune diseases. And so playing with that, again, may have utility when it comes to specific disease states um, or where you fall on that sickness, wellness, fitness continuum once again. But I think in general, at least maintaining a 12-hour fasting window every day and making sure you eat your carbs and your proteins post-workout is probably going to be a good place to start. Fourth and final bucket is supplements. So I save this for last because it's the least important, okay? If you're eating a whole foods diet, if you're eating lots of nutrients, if you're eating very nutrient-rich foods, ideally your vegetables are coming from a local farm. Um, they're not, you know, vegetables that have been shipped across halfway across the world. You're going to be getting a lot, a lot of nutrients that you may need just from your diet. Now, um, based on your specific nutrient needs, your specific individual health concerns or lifestyle factors, work with your healthcare practitioner on those. Um, but again, keep in mind that hopefully any type of supplements should be used only for a specific need and hopefully should not be something that you need to take for the rest of your life. So look at that in the big picture. Make sure that you're working with your healthcare practitioner on that. But again, it's just a supplement to a good diet, not the end all be all. So to recap, when I'm looking at overall eating healthy, start with quality, quality foods. That means eating whole foods, no processed foods, mostly plants, Um, trying to experiment and figure out which foods your body really doesn't do well with and eliminating those ideally through an elimination diet. Um, And food quality goes with both vegetables, meaning local, organic, etc. Better than not. And then same goes with meat. So we're trying to eat meat as natural to its, as close to its natural environment as possible. Um, Not the processed meats similarly to the way we would approach any other foods. Quantity, not too much, kind of following a general guideline for how you would compose your plate um, and then really adjusting that based on your specific intake needs, your exercise needs, and your specific health needs. And then timing goes for making sure you have that window in the evening, at least 12 hours where you're not eating, and then supplements, working with someone who really understands you and your health, and you're taking them in a very intentional and purposeful 
way. And of course, always remember as well, mindful eating, which I think is super overlooked um, and something that I'm certainly always working on as well. All right. So next point that I wanted to make about nutrition is just thinking about what is worth being super strict about when it comes to nutrition. So I think that the 80-20 rule is something that we throw around a lot. And I think that that's something that is super valuable to think about. If you're trying to be 100% strict with your nutrition 100% of the time, probably a lot of the stress, you know, you're going to be creating a lot of extra stress for yourself, trying to be perfect, especially in some of those situations where it's really difficult to be perfect. And you're probably going to negate some of the positive benefits of those you know, perfect nutrition practices that you have by the increased stress that you're inducing in your body. So I like to think about having a balance between these two things. Um, Also, the good news that you should be reassured by is that if you're eating a ton of vegetables and getting a ton of micronutrients that way, those are going to be really protective for you against some of the less desirable foods that you may eat along the way, whether it's at a kid's birthday party or whether it's at a family gathering or whatever it may be don't stress. As long as you're eating the good stuff and you're doing well 80% of the time, your body is going to be pretty well off for it. Um, If you haven't yet listened to the episode with E.C. Sinkowski, we cover a lot of these nutrition topics um, and I really love her perspective. So if you liked kind of what we were talking about here with nutrition, I would definitely recommend checking that out. All right. Last nutrition question is what does a full day look like for you nutritionally? So for me, this has fluctuated a lot lately. Um, Admittedly, I am in my second year of residency. I was just studying, spending most of my evenings and weekends last couple of weeks studying for the step three of my board exam. So it's been a little all over the place and not super consistent, but Lately, what I've been trying to do is work out first thing in the morning. So going to the 5.30 class in the morning and then for breakfast, eating some sort of whether it's a, a fruit fruit and plant-based protein smoothie and coffee for breakfast or sometimes I'll even just have a little bit of almond butter or some fruit or something like that. Um, there's actually a really great smoothie place that's on my way to work and I've probably been spending way too much money buying smoothies there in the morning. But um, the one that I really like has a plant-based protein because I don't do well with whey. That's one of the things that based on my own elimination diet, I figured out I didn't do well with. Um, so the plant-based protein, it has kale, it has ginger, um, blueberries, blackberries, walnuts, and I think maybe almond butter, maybe almond milk or something like that. So that's kind of been my favorite combo as of late. Um, And then coffee with some almond or coconut milk. And then I've really been relying a lot on True Fair lately, which is a meal delivery company. They ship their meals frozen and they have essentially 100% quality meals. So I love where they're sourcing all their ingredients from. I know that I'm getting good quality. Um, They send them in basically little packages with proteins or vegetables. So I just take a protein and a vegetable out of the freezer in the morning and I pack it and take it for lunch. So it's pretty simple. Often I do the same thing for dinner. Um, And then as far as my snacks go, sometimes I'm having nuts lately. I've been really into hazelnuts. Um, Sometimes hummus, blueberries, those kind of things are generally what I'm eating these days. But of course, um, still going out to eat on a regular basis. There, I'm generally trying to get a huge salad. Wherever I go out, I try to get 
tons of vegetables. Um, and then I also try to get some seafood when I go out to eat because I don't get a lot of seafood through the true fair. And my husband also is not a big seafood fan. So that's something that I try to get while we're out. So that's just what I'm doing lately when it comes to nutrition. Um, all right, next big topic are other important things to do to improve health. So when it's, when we're not talking about nutrition, we kind of already addressed that. What are some other very important things that a person should be doing? Maybe if you have limited resources, limited time to improve their health. So number one, I'm actually going to put this, I think this is probably more important than nutrition, more important than exercise. Everything else I think is relationships. And it's something that, you know, we know many of us live and thrive on our relationships. We don't realize how important these are. Um, having those people, it doesn't even have to be quantity, but having those quality relationships of people that you know have your back, no matter what, that you know you can talk to about anything that you feel a strong connection to are so, so health protective. Because at the end of the day, you know, all of the stuff that we do, it means nothing without the people in our lives. And so cultivating relationships and community is super, super important. I think it's oftentimes hard and can be overlooked when we're busy, maybe at work, we try to go to the gym, we try to do this and that. And um, it can be easy to lose touch with people who are important to us in our lives. And this is just a reminder to remember to cultivate those relationships because it's not only you know, important for that person and for you to feel like you are there for each other, but it's really important for both of your health as well. And I thought this was super interesting. The ARP conducted a study. They redid this study this year and they found that one in three adults over the age of 45 are lonely and loneliness and social isolation can have a bigger negative impact on our health than smoking and obesity. So like I said, relationships and feeling supported are so incredibly important to our health. So do something this holiday season, connect with your loved ones, connect with your family members, um, nourish those relationships because they're so incredibly important. Um, okay. Next then, then I'm going to say regular activity of course is going to be super important, but it doesn't have to be anything crazy. So doing some functional movements, of course, you want to make sure that you're, you know, getting your heart rate up, that you're moving in intensity, that you're moving your joints through their full range of motion. Um, but some activity is better than none. And making sure that you have some restorative activity in your life is also incredibly important. So I'm a huge fan of yoga. If it's a good week, I make it to yoga at least once a week. Um, that doesn't always happen, but I feel like a completely different person when I take that time to do some slow and restorative movement. And I think it really offsets what we often do in the gym, which is super high intensity and is very important for our health, but also needs to be counterbalanced by something a little bit more um, restorative. Next, I'm going to say, as far as things that are important to improve our health, I'm going to say purpose is very, very important. Something that often we don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis, or we don't stop to think about until we meet new phases or new challenges in our lives. But having a strong sense of purpose or why we're doing what we're doing is very, very important and is what will keep us going in those times when things are really tough. So I feel very lucky that I learned this lesson early on, that I had sort of my moment of 
kind of who am I and why am I doing what I'm doing when I was just in my first year of medical school and had this kind of midlife crisis at the age of who knows how old I was, 22 or something like that. But I think oftentimes people go through life and they go through the next expected step of them, whether it's you know, applying to medical school, graduating from medical school, going to residency, getting a job, and then eventually you get to a point in life where you have to stop and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And sometimes it doesn't match up, which can be really hard to reconcile, or sometimes it's something really unexpected. So maybe you've been working at a job and you get laid off, or something happens to your health or to one of your loved one's health, and you have to stop and reevaluate. And it can be very jarring, but If you really understand who you are and why you're doing what you're doing, I think this makes those challenges much easier. It helps to build that resilience so that no matter what what life throws your way, you're going to be able to react and respond in a positive way. And building that resilience also helps you to build your health. Next, I'm going to just touch on sleep because I think sleep is also another one of these highly overlooked health habits which is so, so incredibly important. Um, We know that sleep deprivation can have an enormous negative impact on your health. It can make you more insulin resistant. Um, They've done the studies looking at medical residents and just one night of sleep deprivation mimics basically being under the influence of alcohol. We've all experienced it before, but a lot of us can be chronically sleep deprived without quite realizing it. So we can still function through the day. Maybe we're a little bit tired. Maybe you use coffee to kind of get by, but the impact that that's going to have over time, years and years and decades of that building on itself um, can really have a huge impact on your health. And so that's one thing that I've always tried to be very protective of is my sleep. And unfortunately, I'm one of those people that just needs a lot of sleep. So there's, you know, some people who feel really great after seven hours or even seven and a half or eight hours. But for me, I definitely need more than eight, usually closer to nine to really feel like I'm fully rested. And I don't always get it, but I try to be protective of that because I know over the long term, it's going to be so important for health. Um, Last thing that I'm just going to touch on when it comes to important behaviors for improving health is stress reduction and down regulation of the nervous system, which I mentioned earlier, and which I think is something that, again, is often overlooked. Again, people can go a really long way with kind of firing on all cylinders and working off adrenaline and having success. And so why change, you know, what you're doing? And oftentimes it comes again with maybe a negative health consequence. I mean, oftentimes people have a heart attack and then realize, wow, I was under way too much stress. Yeah, heart att- or stress can contribute to so many negative health consequences. And I think that it's something because you can't really see it. Um, it's not like losing weight. It's not like, you know, exercising or nutrition that you do every day. It's easy to blow it off and think that it's not important, but it's so incredibly important. And it doesn't have to be doing a full you know, 20 minutes of meditation every single day. It doesn't have to look like that. You can find different ways. But really all this means is finding ways to unplug, to downregulate, to take a deep breath, to relax, to make sure that you're not working 24-7 around the clock. This is one of my biggest challenges, something that I am working on 
every single day, often not doing a good job of. Um, but I realize how important it is. And I can feel myself when I start getting into a mode where I'm just go, go, go. I feel everything tightening up. I feel more stressed, more anxious, and I know it's important to downregulate. So finding ways to do that, whether it's going for a walk outside, whether it's spending time with your family and just letting go and not worrying about work or about anything else, um, doing a yoga class, maybe it's taking up meditation, um, totally up to you how it looks, but just recognizing when you're getting too caught up in the moment or you're getting too caught up with work and stress and knowing how to take yourself down into that parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, one other question that I wanted to read word for word because I thought it was a very important question is what is your stance on the health at every size movement? How do you support health in those with large bodies without discriminating and adding to the many voices in the medical and often fitness community who talk about weight loss as the solution? I love this question. I think that it is so, so important. And another reason why I love CrossFit, why I love functional medicine is that it is so important that we focus on health and not on weight and not on appearance. That is the reason why I fell in love with CrossFit because it's not about how you look. It's not about how many calories you burn. It's about what your body can do. It's about constantly getting better every single day. It's about beating yourself in the gym, making your times faster, being able to lift more, being able to run farther. And that is so incredibly rewarding to be able to see that progress and have the pressure being taken off of what do I look like in the mirror? How much is that number on the scale, which is so paralyzing for so many people. Um, And I really think that the CrossFit community does a fantastic job of embracing that philosophy um, and making it really about the person that you are and the effort that you put in and have nothing to do with your appearance, which is really, really amazing and still touches me to this day. Um, Functional medicine is really has a similar approach. And I think that's why I have really gravitated towards it, where the focus again is on health. It's about how do we create health in your body and get rid of the symptoms that you're having. And generally when that happens, your body will heal itself and it will find a natural weight that is healthy and comfortable for you. That, however, is not the goal. As in most conventional medical systems or medical care, the goal, if you have a certain condition, maybe you have, you know, you're overweight or you have a, you know, you have diabetes or you have high blood pressure, the goal or the guideline is going to be for you to lose a certain percentage of your weight or for you to get under a certain BMI in order to be healthy. When at the end of the day, we know that there are healthy ways to do that and we know that there are unhealthy ways to do that. And there are many people who live at maybe a little bit higher BMI or higher weight who are very healthy, who are not insulin resistant, whose body systems are functioning optimally, who are not having symptoms. And that's awesome. And if you feel good and your health is not at risk, then more power to you. I think that the reason why I love both of these philosophies is because they don't care about how much you weigh. They don't care about what you look like. They care about what your body can do and helping you to be as healthy as you can possibly be. So I hope that we see more people focus on those things and less people focusing on appearance and on weight. 
All right, guys, we are in the home stretch. We just have a few more questions that have to do mainly with my current training and life schedule. So I will do my very best to answer them. Um, first question has to do with my current training. How do I maintain my fitness and what's my training schedule like? Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I am in my second year of residency. Oftentimes I find that work or other commitments are taking the priority, which is very different from how it used to be several years ago when I was in competitive mode. Um, and I find it hard to to balance, quite honestly. I think it can be easy to always come up with something else that you have to do instead of work out. And that's a problem with, you know, with there constantly being work to do. But I find that I have to protect that time for myself if I want to make it happen. And I find that if I go too long without working out, I really start to feel not like myself. I start to feel down or I start to feel really anxious. And I know that getting a regular sweat is super, super important for me and for my health. So this year, one way I have been doing that is by trying to do it first thing in the morning. So I recently joined an affiliate called Black Flag CrossFit, which is in Avon, Ohio. And I've been trying to go to their 5.30 a.m. class, which is kind of crazy. If you knew me, even a few years ago, you would be shocked to hear me saying that because I was never a early morning exerciser, but I'm finding that I absolutely love it. So I love going first thing in the morning. It sets the tone for my whole day. And then when I get home from work in the evening, I can eat dinner and I have a few hours to do whatever else has come up. But if I do it the other way around and I wait and I work out after work, then I find that somehow something always comes up or I'm too tired or I'm ready for dinner or whatever it may be. Um, and it oftentimes gets pushed away. So I've really been loving sticking with the first thing in the morning um, agenda. It's been working out really well for me. I'm just doing regular classes right now and I'm absolutely loving it. Once again, it's been so long since I've just been doing classes at an affiliate and I feel like I'm falling in love with CrossFit all over again because um, that's what it's all about. It's about doing it with other people. It's about having a coach lead you through the workout. And I didn't realize how much extra stress it put on me to have to think about getting myself ready to do a workout by myself. The extra energy and the momentum that you have to create in order to make that happen is actually quite a lot. And especially when it's first thing in the morning, I just find doing the class to be super therapeutic. So that's my workout schedule lately. Um, I may have to start upping my game a little bit with this Rogue Invitational coming up in May, but please stay tuned for that. We will see how it goes. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention was that through this whole process, you know, through first being in more of a competitive mode and working out several hours a day, then I think for the next year or two, I was pretty diligent about hitting at least my hour five days a week on average, sometimes four days a week. Um, and now I've become a little bit more comfortable just taking it easy. So I've tried to really balance the other stressors that are going on and that are weighing on me. So realizing how important those things like down regulating my nervous system and getting enough sleep are. So say I do not have I don't get to bed early enough to wake up for that 5.30 class and get enough sleep. I may just sleep because I know that that's what my body needs and I may only work out three days that week. Um, but I know as long as I'm getting regular regular workouts in, I'm going to be okay. Um, I also sometimes will substitute in a more mild workout that I can do at home. So maybe it's just some light 
biking or burpees or um, we actually also have a skier at our house. So sometimes I do some combination of that um, just to get a sweat on and make sure that I'm getting my heart rate up um, without the extra added stress of doing a super intense workout or going to a class. So I find ways to still make sure that I'm getting it in, but I'm also trying to listen to my body and understand what I need and knowing that it's not the end of the world if I don't get four workouts a week or I don't get five workouts a week or whatever it may be. Um, Paying attention to those other lifestyle factors that I know are super important for health. Question, would I ever consider competing again and that's a great question because we I just got invited to the Rogue Invitational, which I think is going to be super fun. I can only imagine that the Legends event they are putting together is just going to be a blast. Um, so I'm definitely going to try to make sure that I'm being more consistent about my training going into that event, but I'm definitely not going to be, you know, going into competition mode and training multiple hours a day. Um, beyond that, I really have no plans to compete again. I... For me, I think there's so many things that are taking the priority in my life right now that I just can't prioritize the training that it takes in order to be able to compete. Um, Certainly, if there's opportunities like this Rogue Invitational to do it for fun, then I absolutely am all on board. Um, But it's just not something I'm prioritizing at this moment. And I can't really foresee it happening at least in the next five years. We'll just leave it at that. Um... All right. So another question is about how I prep and stay on track when I'm pulled in a million different directions with work, family, travel, etc. Great question. I'm still figuring this out. Believe me. Um, But I'll just give you kind of a general overview of how I try to approach and prioritize. Um, One thing that I think is you know, maybe a strength, maybe a flaw of mine is that I am very single track focused. So I'm not very good at multitasking, but generally if there's something that needs to be done, I'm kind of laser focused on that until it's done. And otherwise I can't really move on. So um, that's a good thing in that I generally try to just make sure that I'm focusing on the things that are most important. Um, But not getting too distracted by other things that aren't quite as important in the moment. Um, But certainly I think it can be a flaw in some ways because oftentimes there are multiple things up in the air. So as a general overview of what I try to do in order to organize and stay on track is I always have kind of a, as we talked about earlier, kind of a general understanding of what my purpose and what my goals are. Um, I try to look at those at least on a every three month basis and trying to figure out, okay, where do I want to be three months from now? What it has to happen in order to get that done and break it down into more sustainable or more achievable weekly goals and then daily goals. Um, Once a week, I sit down and I keep track of most of my kind of goals and tasks in Asana. I think that it's a great way to kind of dump everything that needs to be done. It's a place that I know if I have to-dos, I can dump them in there with a due date and I know they won't get lost and I know I have a place that I can find them and organize them. And then once a week, I go into my calendar, my good old Google calendar, and I just kind of set my agenda for the week. I make sure that if there's things that need to be done, I schedule time for them. I try to schedule extra time because I know everything's going to take about twice as long as I'm anticipating. I am definitely... um, guilty every single week of 
um, underestimating and thinking that I can get done way more than there is actually time for in the week. Um, so I think it's better to set up that extra time, which is more of a buffer. And that way, if you get things done faster, you have extra time to work on kind of the loose ends or the emails or whatever it might be. Um, I also really don't do well with email. So that's another big, um, maybe good, maybe bad thing, but I pretty much don't answer emails unless they're really important. Um, I find that I have so many inboxes that need my attention, whether it's my work email, my work inbox, my work mailbox, um, my personal email, my business email. There's so many that I, you know, you can only do so much. You can only keep your inbox at zero in so many places. And for me, I choose to do that at work because I find that, you know, that's the place where it's going to come back to bite me. So, um, I don't really do well with my personal email. That's kind of a thing that I sort of let go unless there's something very important. Um, and so in some ways, you know, I try to make sure that I am focusing on the things that are most important and not the most urgent. Um, I think that's it really. The other thing that I would say, you know, when you're asking about trying to balance things when you're pulled a million directions is to really try to to kind of set your schedule at the beginning of the week, make sure you build in that time for the things that are most important. So whether it's working out, building in that time to go to class, building in that time to go to bed early enough to go to that 5.30 a.m. class, building in that date night time to spend with your significant other, with your family, and making those pretty non-negotiable um, so that you know you're doing those things that are most important for you every single week. Um, that's about it. Otherwise, I'm always looking for suggestions because I'm still trying to figure it out. All right. A couple more questions about the future. One question is how I will plan to integrate CrossFit health and functional medicine into my own practice now in residency and then later on in the future. And I would just go back to some of the earlier discussions that we had about functional medicine where Right now I'm in residency, which is a very traditional practice where, yes, we have a little bit more time with patients because we're still in training, but for the most part, it's a very traditional primary care practice where it's patients are coming in and out. You don't have a whole lot of time to work with them on these lifestyle changes. Oftentimes they are limited by resources, being able to um, spend a lot of money on joining a CrossFit affiliate or buying a lot of um, healthy food. So the key really comes down to how do you connect patients with the right resources um, in order to be able to get the information that they need. Um, the other thing comes down to, I think, choosing those patients who are most receptive. So constantly working on motivational interviewing, working with patients on trying to understand where they are in that process of the stages of change. And those patients who are ready and willing to kind of work with you on those lifestyle changes, that's where it becomes very rewarding and where you can really put those skills to the test. Um, and then for other patients, you just kind of have to constantly assess and be there for them. At the end of the day, it's about partnering with your patients and knowing that you're in it together. You're going to be there for them whenever they are ready to make those changes or whether, you know, trying to help them understand the impact that these changes can have on their health. Um, in the future, this is still very much up for debate. Um, certainly, I do want to see a primary care 
I do want to have a primary care practice. I do want to serve a population of patients that's very community based, um, similar to a CrossFit affiliate that's, you know, very closely connected with a CrossFit affiliate because I really believe that is where health is created. I think it's important for patients to see that and to be a part of that. Um, and again, to have a functional medicine approach where we're constantly trying to address the root cause, we're trying to, constantly trying to find ways to help our patients in our community live healthier lives based on their health behaviors, um, and then using the amazingness of modern conventional medicine whenever it is needed um, in those emergency situations or in those um, certain situations where medications or surgeries or advanced medical care really truly is needed. Um, so that's all I have to say about the future. I don't know the details yet. We're still a little bit ways away from that, but it is quickly approaching. All right. Last question, which I think is a great one to end on. What would you change about the current healthcare system if you could? So many things <laughs> that I would change about the current healthcare system, but I will try to keep this brief and simple. Number one thing I would change is that I would make it community-based. So I think so many of our problems in our country and with our country's health come from humans being isolated and humans um, being exposed to health behaviors that are unhealthy, that are not serving their health. Um, and that comes, you know, from food companies that comes from the way that our kind of our corporate world is set up where we're constantly isolated and sitting at a desk looking at a computer all day. Um, that comes from our fast paced lives of go, go, go and stress and working and having families and trying to balance it all. And I think that um, trying to, to build our healthcare system around communities and around healthy behaviors would be so much more successful at preventing these chronic diseases from happening in the first place, which are plaguing, you know, which are composing the majority of our healthcare system's cost and what is going to bankrupt our country. Um, and if we could have our lives set up in such a way that makes it easy to live out these healthy behaviors, we wouldn't even have to be dealing with all these chronic diseases. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing. And it's more of a societal slash healthcare system solution. But I think that kind of that's what's needed. We see that they are very interconnected and the consequences of how we live our lives are being played out in our healthcare system. Um, next, and kind of going along with that and making our, our communities healthy would be things like not allowing food companies to advertise to children, not allowing ph pharmaceutical companies to advertise, which I still am in such disbelief that, that that's even allowed, and really trying to eliminate some of the influence of industry uh, with motives of trying to make money and profits um, away from what's most important, which is the health of the people that are living in our country. Um, next, as far as the healthcare system changes, I would say using a lifestyle first approach. And that means, you know, often when we're talking, especially about chronic diseases, guidelines are saying the first step is lifestyle changes and allow a trial time or a trial period of lifestyle changes. But oftentimes a good effort really isn't made. And 
doctors certainly don't learn about these lifestyle changes in medical school and they often don't have the tools to give to their patients to actually make a good try at these lifestyle changes. And so what it turns into is mainly medications for managing symptoms and keeping things kind of quote unquote under control. So a true lifestyle first approach where maybe it's something like when you go to a, you get a, go to the physical therapist, if you hurt your arm and the physical therapist helps you do these exercises and get back into functionality, maybe it's the same thing. If you start to have a chronic disease, you go to what looks like a CrossFit affiliate and you have a coach teach you how to do functional movements and you work with a dietitian about how to change your diet. And it's a very intensive intervention until you feel comfortable doing this on your own or plugging into your own community um, to be able to continue with these changes. I think there should be a much bigger effort made in order to help people make these lifestyle changes and make sure that they have all the tools that they possibly need. Um, I also think it would be incredibly important for our healthcare system to incentivize staying healthy and provide some accountability for making poor health decisions. Fact of the matter is, we need to provide education. We need people to, you know, allow people to make their own choices about how they're going to live their lives, but we have to have some accountability for these choices. And at the end of the day, just to summarize, I think that. The future of our health is on our hands. It's in our communities. It's in how we live our lives. All of us can take charge of our own health. Um, right now, the future of our health is certainly not in the healthcare setting. That's going to take a while to catch up. Um, but what all of you who are listening are doing to take control of your own health is incredibly important. So keep it up. Keep supporting each other. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. So once again, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you so much for listening, so much for supporting the podcast. As I said at the beginning, your support means the world to me, and I hope I can continue to deliver great content for you over the next 100 episodes or 200 episodes, or who knows, maybe someday we'll reach 500 episodes. But thank you guys again so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And as always, let me know what you think on social media with hashtag pursuing health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. If you tuned into my last episode, you know that I've been on a search for the perfect coffee creamer and I got my order from Thrive Market and have been enjoying trying out several different options over the past couple of weeks. Have you heard of Thrive Market yet? They sell top organic and healthy products online at 25 to 50% off shipped straight to your door. As a sponsor of this episode of the podcast, they're providing an amazing offer to all my Pursuing Health listeners. So you can go to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH, and there you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. So my husband and I have been using Thrive Market for years. It's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our very busy schedules 
from competing and training in the CrossFit Games years ago to now balancing our busy schedules with residency. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items and ingredients from a curated list of products that we know and we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail, as I mentioned. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping, which I love. I also love that Thrive Market demonstrates a huge commitment to giving back. So for everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver in my own life, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So again, head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to take advantage of 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25 to 50% below retail prices. So I hope you can take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash PH to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and help make a healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork directly to your doorstep. Now, I think meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there is a huge, huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised, fed their natural diet, and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. ButcherBox gives me some peace of mind, knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and that it will taste amazing. They allow you to order curated or custom boxes of meat, and they always come with recipe ideas for you to explore. My husband, Danny, and I are super excited about firing up our backyard grill this summer to enjoy our ButcherBox selections with tons of vegetables from our local CSA. And you can join us. ButcherBox is extending an awesome offer to you for listening to Pursuing Health. Just head to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie for $20 off your order plus a free order of their delicious bacon. Again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Hope you can check it out and that it makes your life a little bit easier just as it has done for us. 